You're listening to 3CR's Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald, as we investigate the role of landlords, bankers and natural monopolies through the eyes of the commons. Our birthrights, our birthrights. And welcome, listeners, to the Renegade Economist, the show that brings you a unique perspective on economics where it's actually an interpretation of reality rather than a diversion play for monopolists. That's what economics has become in this day and age. And a couple of weeks ago, we had Lindsay David from LF Economics on. And I said in the show notes that, uh, gee, that show encapsulates another advantage for property investors. I need to add it to my growing list of investor advantages. It started off at 20 investor advantages. I wrote it August 27, 2013. Now some four years later, we've added another seven points to it. I'm sure there are probably more out there. If you know of any, please get in touch via renegades at earthsharing.org.au. And let me know what little advantages are going to property investors that tilt this playing field away from opportunities for everyone and favour those within the game of mates. And uh, yeah, I just got to reiterate that uh, no longer is it an exploitation of capitalists versus labour pretty much an old story in the globalized world where we've lost so much of our manufacturing. Sure, it does go on and there are concerns about CEOs being paid 100 times more than their employees and that's a legitimate concern. We certainly have no concerns there but when you look at the Fortune 500, the BOW richest 200, where do even those CEOs who are earning 100 times more than their employees make most of their money? In monopoly rents, primarily through real estate, but in other forms of natural monopolies that neoliberalism has uh, uh, promoted and uh, corrupted the teachings of economics to ensure that those who graduate don't hear this story they, they barely get to understand that both labor and capital need land to operate on and that the cycles of land rents and the accompanying land prices have a huge influence on the business cycle. And so when those Fortune 500 types are making 30 or $40 million in one rezoning decision, such as we've seen at Fisherman's Bend and what is likely to happen at Arden in North Melbourne, well, that's where the big, big dollars are made and uh, those sort of profits dwarf what CEOs can make uh, in their day-to-day earnings. So here I am sitting next to one of our four dams on the property, trying to stay sane as uh, I check through this list for you. Let's go with the top 27 advantages for property investors. Number one, location, location is a crucial real estate strategy, but ignored in neoclassical economics. This leads to poor economic policy, ignoring the natural advantage of owning a prime location over running a business. 
We've often talked about this on how economics ignores these natural advantages of owning the earth, of owning prime locations, but yet it's the number one most important thing to understand if you're a property investor. Imagine if you got the nudge, nudge, wink, wink to uh, invest in property and be able to get away with it because economists have been blindsided from discussing it. And last week, the Australian Bureau of Statistics' eight capital cities index was released and I crunched a few numbers on it. And uh, if we applied the same growth rates that have occurred for residential housing to what's happened to uh, Australian land prices over the last year, then they would have increased by over $500 billion. And to run all three levels of government, it's up around about $600 billion. So if you add some mining taxes, some fishing licenses, all those other things I raised in the Total Resource Rents Report of Australia, we could have the sort of new economics frontier that recognises the earth, that recognises uh, uh, a system of harmonising both equality of opportunity alongside economic efficiency, where we can bridge the left-right gap. All right, well, there's number one. I better get going on this list. Number two. Investors hover around 50% of all housing loans, up from 12% in the 80s and 19% in 1993. This reflects the crowding out of first home buyers. With investors feeding off each other, this pushes prices higher, faster, delivering more profits. Three. First home buyers borrowed 80,000 on average in 93. In 2013, it was $292,000 here in Victoria. Just two years later, it was 339,000 nationwide and in April 2016, when I last updated these figures, uh, first home borrowers were borrowing $403,000 in Sydney and $355,000 in Melbourne. This requires first home buyers to save up larger deposits of some $60,000, which is incredibly difficult in this world of limited wage growth and the casualization of the workforce. So these high prices act as a barrier to entry for home buyers, reducing competition for investors. Incredible. Four. Saul Eslake, when he was on the show a couple of years ago, reminded us that the wealthiest 20% owns 72% of the value of investment properties. This value can be leveraged for further investment. Now, up until the Lindsay David interview, I was under the impression that uh, investors could look at their property and see that its value had gone up and then use that higher value as a basis for applying for greater loans. But Lindsay pointed out that actually the increase in capital gains can be used as a deposit on a home. I thought they might just be able to increase the value of their overall loan portfolio, but no, you can just use these unrealized capital gains as if they are a deposit. So let's insert that as, uh, as our 27th investor advantage. So number five, self-managed super funds. Residential and commercial investment is now capital gains tax-free for those in their pension phase aged over 55 plus. 
So wouldn't it be good if there was a clause on this that uh, those who have retired cannot spend their largesse on a white socks tour of the world on an ocean cruise liner, do that for five or ten years, run out of money, and then apply for the pension? Well, at the moment, they can get away with that. So uh, it's annoying. But to think that uh, boomers and their like have yet another advantage in this intergenerational inequity. It's maddening. Number six, self-managed super funds. There's only a 10% capital gains tax for properties held for 12 plus months. That's for those under 55. 10% is all they pay for properties held for 12 plus months. But as we know, there are all sorts of tricks about living in investment properties. Uh, we're just about to hear about that, I think. Those self-managed super funds flipping property in under 12 months pay just 15% capital gains tax. Talk about rigged market capitalism. Mm. Self-managed super funds is now legal to borrow within the super entity. They shouldn't be able to borrow to jack prices up even higher to place the Australian economy in even greater peril despite the warnings from the IMF, the OECD, even the World Bank, that Australia's property bubble is a worry, these policies still exist. 60% plus of investor loans are interest-only loans, facilitating speculation upon rising prices. This means they only have to repay the interest, not the principal, favouring short-term speculation where rents charged cover the interest only. So let's uh, put that down to a minor victory. Some of the pressure that's been applied on interest-only borrowings. Banks now have to uh, reduce the amount of such loans they're providing. So that's something we've been discussing here on The Renegade Economist since about 2010. Great to see that the 100th monkey pokes its head up every now and again to help us here on 3CR. Nine. The recent ability to attain 40-year mortgages in Australia allows a greater purchasing power for first-home buyers, for anyone, pushing prices up and thus investor profits even higher. Do you get that one? Michael Hudson always says uh, property's really worth what banks will lend. So if they're going to lend you $400,000 and you've got $60,000 plus, well, prices are going to be at least $460,000. So the role of bank credit is hugely advantageous to property investors. 3CR, radio that's independent, progressive and making a difference. You're on 3CR's Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald, broadcasting from our new farm. Wish me luck setting up uh, another water tank today in preparation for a dry, dry summer up here. Okay, point number 10 in our list of property investor advantages. And here we go. You should be able to recite this one. Hopefully you're all getting this well and truly by now. Housing vacancy rates don't include those held empty by speculators. This facilitates the housing supply, land supply shortage scare campaign. And our speculative vacancies report has found vacancy rates at three times the Real Estate Institute of Victoria's figures and about double what SQM 
finds. This promotes a false sense of scarcity despite the 70 to 80,000 vacant homes we typically find. And you know, this is part of the meme that mainstream Australia never gets to hear. These vacancy numbers do not include those held for investment gains. And when investment gains are three times what you can earn in rent, more and more people are deciding not to rent out their property, particularly those from Asian communities who do not want their kitchen tarnished. Apartments do not enjoy the sort of locational benefits that someone who owns land does. So if their improvements are depreciating, it does put some pressure on investment returns. If they're only looking at capital gains. And when rents are nowhere near justifying the prices that are being paid, investors are in a way cornered into behaving like this. We're happy to see the national vacancy tax. It starts at a $5,000 annual fee. It's not based on location. It's not based on land value. So it's not as fair as it should be. The Victorian government's vacant residential property tax is limited in scope because it only looks at vacant property in the inner and middle rings but hands a nice little advantage to their land banking campaign contributors out on the sprawl. Vacant sites there are not included. It's going to be very interesting to see how the self-reporting vacancy findings eventuate there. It's not perfect we'd rather a higher site value rating charge at the, at the council level or a higher land tax on vacant property on all property really it's too hard to decide exactly what is vacant and what is not we're suspecting more and more investors are buying water timers and turning their taps on so uh so that those properties appear to be consuming more than 50 litres a day and not coming up in our figures. 11. All right, number 11. Land tax is barely $400 on a $330,000 block of land. It's that tiny. And most don't pay because their land holdings fall under the $250,000 land tax threshold. And so we see lots of vacant property in the inner west where I used to live in the Bray Bronx and uh, many of those sites were worth less than $250,000. Now some of them are uh, selling for uh, circa $500,000. So they are paying something, but it's still, you know, five, $600 versus capital gains of thirty dollars to $60,000 a year. Incredible. So uh, such a small charge is not going to change the sort of land hoarding behavior we're seeing out there. Well... Here's another regular on the Renegade Economist, land tax thresholds. Between 2003 and 2009, land tax thresholds increased from $80,000 to $250,000, meaning that whilst first home buyers get policy fraud, government policy has made property investment more affordable. Talk about doublespeak. Housing tax exemptions are at least a $30 billion black hole in the budget. And Treasury is estimating it will cost 
$454 billion in the decade to 2024. Thanks to some of these tax loopholes we've talked about, this forces government to increase taxes on productive activity, but yet land speculators pay little back whilst workers are penalised for, for productive efforts, reducing their savings and thus their ability to enter the housing market. So that's a crucial one, isn't it? First in best dressed, you've got your real estate portfolio of 10 to 12 properties, eight of them, nine of them are delivering rents that have paid off uh, most of those properties over that time. You can then use the rising value of that portfolio as a deposit on your next investment property. Talk about a beautiful pyramid scheme and away you go. Meanwhile, with uh, more and more baby boomers retiring, pension pressures growing, there's increasing uh, attention being placed on the need to raise taxes on workers to fund the pensions of those who have been lucky to make plenty of money out of real estate. 1.1 million investors have claimed 33.5 billion in negative gearing deductions up to 2011. So the numbers keep growing each year, somewhere between two to four to five billion dollars. So negative gearing encourages higher bidding as investors know they will be rewarded by government with a tax discount on any losses. So that encourages investors to pay a higher price than what the rents can justify because they know that any losses between uh, the rents they're earning and the interest charges they're paying, much of that can be written off. Only 8% of negative gearing loans are invested in new supply, according to Saul Leslake at our 122nd annual Henry George dinner. That is brute evidence of the crowding out of first homeowners. 16. Stamp duty hits the poor hardest. 15% of stamp duty comes from supposedly affordable housing areas on the sprawl versus only 4% in the well-to-do areas in inner Melbourne. But our friends at Ahuri calculated that if we use land tax instead that would uh, virtually reverse that situation. So those who live in areas where the capital gains are greatest would pay more via land tax than those who live out in the sprawl where uh, the gains aren't quite so good. Stamp duty impedes the transfer of property and thus the ability to move closer to work. This soaks up our time and energy in the commute along with the accompanying petrol bill. This all saps savings. The upward mobility of homeowners is challenged. Land is fixed in supply. No matter how much investment, it will only push prices up. And this is overlooked by most analysts, but well understood by experienced investors. This should be its separate own standalone issue, taking us up to 28. But uh, I've written it in as uh, number 18 here. Thus, the support for immigration, for more investment, for more infrastructure too, which takes us under... Your taxes fund the infrastructure that makes investors' land more valuable. Cheers. That one's pretty simple, isn't it? I think out of all the things I talk about, it's the easiest one to get. 
If you build a new train station or a new library, more people want to live there. That competition drives up locational values, leading to these unearned incomes. Property investors didn't do anything productive to actually deserve. Well, as we're hearing today, uh, there's loopholes galore for property investors, so they don't contribute much back for uh, this infrastructure that's built. And if there's ever talk of them doing so, they cry poor at having to pay some 2 to 3% of their gains back to society as a thank you bill. It's outrageous, and I hope one day I'm going to get a dozen new members out of one of these shows because someone's going to share it on Twitter or Facebook, and who knows, more than a 1,000 or so people will listen. Please, I'd love your help on that front. Okay, number 20 in property investor advantages here on 3CR's Renegade Economist is that land accounts for 70% of a property's value, but yet we call it a housing bubble. This is another tangent diverting attention from the core housing cost, land and its locational value. These are all blinkers hiding us from uh, recognising location, location in economics. When we were... Council rates are set on capital improved valuations or net annual values. Yes, tax geeks, get excited about this one because this sees a family home paying some 30% more than a neighbouring land banker. And when I've talked about this in public, people just don't believe it. And I've had people say to my face, you are lying. You, that can't be true, that if you put solar panels on your roof, your council rates go up. Well, yes, they do. This is all part of uh, one of these systemic tweaks. Australia is one of the last places in the world to raise its revenue from uh, the land. And in the mid-90s, Jeff Kennett put in a huge schism to this system, basically uh, saying that any council that wants to move away from uh, site value rating where you have to get it signed off by head office, uh, we won't check your rates if you move over to CIV rating. And this has just led to... Uh, an incredible amount of frustration by ratepayers. They can't understand it. It just doesn't make sense. If I improve my property, I get penalised. But if I smash down an affordable weatherboard home that could have been the base for rental housing, goodness me, I get a 30% uh, discount on my rating bill. No one talks about this except us here on 3CR's Renegade Economists. 22. The spread of rate capping amongst the state's further reduces the taxation of economic rents, these unearned incomes, this magic money property investors earn. This enables more rent to be capitalised into higher and higher prices. For government, revenue pressures lead to increased fixed costs such as garbage fees, a regressive tax hurting those on lower incomes trying to save. A myriad of issues are compounded by this populist move. Daniel Andrews, it's an outrage you've done this. You've got to look at the expenditure side. Another advantage for rent seekers. No one is looking at the cost of 30 years of privatisation. I've been in contacting a few different unions to see if they'd be interested in looking into this in greater detail. I haven't got anywhere yet. If you've got some leads, get in touch. Foreign investors' ability to buy real estate has not led to lower prices. This is partly due to hoarding incentives, but mainly because no matter how much foreign investment 
you can't create more land. With rents barely one-third of capital gains, you know the rest of that one. So that's where I got to in 2013. And then, as always, there's more and more issues. I added uh, these three. When Postcode hopping. Property Spruikers advise on how you can change your electoral voting location and one other bill, perhaps your mobile phone, to your new investment property. You live there for 12 months and sell it in your 13th month and along the way with some help from some property maintenance people, you basically don't have to live there but you can say you have There's very little oversight on this and from it uh, you don't pay uh, any capital gains as an investor on this property and bang, there you go. A 50% saving on your tax bill and a nice little leg up onto uh, your next uh, rung of the property ladder. Now, number two, this is a big one, property options. It must be time I visited this again. I think it was back in show 361. It's called Property Options for Some, one of those shows where I went in and uh, had to listen to one of these property spruikers and was just dumbfounded to hear that you can have no money down just surf around on Google Earth to a few council websites, look at uh, their zoning overlays, see if you can find a property uh, using Google Earth that's above 800 square metres, go and knock on the old pensioners who live there, tell them, look, you'll pay them 100 grand more than what the, the market value of the site is now, and that, of course, is without rezoning, and they get them to sign this contract. In the meantime, they fill out the rezoning paperwork to council, they then sell the development rights, basically the site, to a builder, probably for another two or $300,000 extra on top. Use that money to pay off uh, the pensioners, the original landowners, and bang, there you go. They haven't had to do more than just fill out some paperwork, and there's probably three or 400000 bucks. There were stories uh, I was listening to that day of people making $15 million with no money down using property options. Here we go. Drum roll, please. Ooh. <laughs> uh, you know, um... Here we have number 27, probably the biggest advantage to property investors handed out by the supposedly world's greatest treasurer, Peter Costello, in 1999 as part of the negotiations around the GST, the Howard government gave the property lobby pretty much the HIA who lobbied hard for this, that uh, uh, they'd get a 50% capital gains discount if GST could be charged on building inputs. Absolutely damaging. You can look at uh, Australian land prices from 1999 onwards. You can look at Harry Triggerboff's wealth, one of the top two or three wealthiest people in the country, and it just skyrockets from... 99, 2000 onwards, absolutely incredible what this has done to so many people putting so much financial pressure on our lives. How many people are living in dingy holes now because of this policy that gives property investors the hugest leg up you can imagine? Don't stop now. Another obvious advantage is first home buyer grants when everyone gets $32,000, we bid against each other, pushing up the prices of land, so it's really a seller's subsidy. So listeners, we could cut to the chase. We could just leave most of these exemptions in place, 
if just increased land taxes, it would wipe out the capital gains discount, it would wipe out negative gearing, the first home buyer's grant, all of these things. Immigration would still have an effect, but foreign investment would dwindle rapidly, I'm sure, if we captured over one third of the capital gains each year by having a land tax of around about three or four percent. Ultimately, we'd like it at around six percent. Numbers we've calculated that would cover over 50 to 60 percent of government revenues for all three levels, and uh, we would have an actual level playing field between investors and buyers. And that's the sort of future we need where a right to a roof over our heads is guaranteed by a share of the land upon which we stand. My name's Carl Fitzgerald. Thanks for listening. It's the end of the world as we know it. I feel fine. Good morning, slaves, and welcome to 3CR. This is a stimulator. And whenever I want to get some radical propaganda, I listen to 3CR, 855 AM, Melbourne.